John takes a strike on the inside corner at the knees. Oh, he didn't like that call. Fans didn't either. I think this is the first scoring threat by either ball club tonight. I'm checking over my card here. Single and an error has put runners on first and third. Outfield is deep in around the left side. Infield is uh, pulled in about halfway. There's a lob over the first. It's just a little bit off the bag. Here's the pitch on the way. There's a ground ball. Here's the play to third base. They have Fox cutting the rundown now. Ruiz tags him out. The throw to third. They're going to get a double play. That ball was hit sharply to the shortstop. They got Fox in the rundown. And then got the ball back over to the shortstop to complete the double play and a very unusual double play. Day. Uh, my name is Ron Collins. I'm the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and as always, I can now say definitely I have Ted Schmidt with me, the GM emeritus of TBD at some future date. We are lucky enough today to be joined by uh, Aaron Weiner, the Rockville general manager, and uh, so happy Saturday. Welcome aboard. I want to start uh, looking down the uh, latest standings. Uh, there's lots of always lots of interesting things going on. We're in mid-May now, uh, but a team that has caught my eye and I've been looking at, and I'm not sure exactly how to judge, is the uh, Calgary Pioneers of Kevin Dixon. Every time I look at Calgary, I get a different flavor. They are currently sitting up in what uh, second in the in the frontier at 23 and 13. Mexico City's 25 and 11. San Antonio, who everyone uh, likes, is 22 and 14. Let me just throw this out here, Ted, uh, Aaron. What are your thoughts on Calgary? They're nine and one in their last 10 games. Is this is this team real? They're okay. So so right now, Jefferson Pierce, Nedwin Gilliam are so lights out so so much so that, that they can't that's just a they can't possibly maintain the pace that said i think the rotation is maybe one of the deepest rotations in the johnson league you look at that and you look past gilliam and pierce and ariano hasn't even hasn't even started yet and i think Brick boland um, is a really solid little you know short innings guy and and you look at Rodea and he's he's got he's got that great control and I I think that we, we could be looking at a looking at a legitimate contender I don't know that they're as good as this but like you get out of Bonnie and the in the bullpen being the stopper and like he's pitching pretty much lights out right now it, it's I think they're real. Yeah, and you know they've got kind of the traditional Matt Rickenrold uh, three big bullpen arm thing going on. The Audubonny and and you know Wrangle's good. Um, they're using Ken Bates as the third guy, but I mean he could be a really solid reliever uh, until he gets hurt. Which oh, and he is he's hurt. Yeah, he's oh, hurt. So never mind. Yeah, I don't know that they're quite this good either. But I you know this is like two of my former Pacific Division rivals before the realignment of Seattle and Calgary that I've slept on both of them this year. The thing I, that stand out for, stands out for me with them is that they're kind of, you know, they're seventh in run scored. I agree with Aaron. I, I think the, the pitching is good, better than I had noticed. I don't think that a couple of those guys will hold up as well um, at the with Pierce and Gilliam. I mean, they're great, but they're not going to have, you know, 1.5 and 1.7 ERAs. The, the part that I'm a little confused about is I, as I'm looking at them, I don't see the offense. And I wonder if this is one of those teams where, like, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Because there's really, you know, in a league that is just awash with Herculean thumpers and, you know, crazy kid phenom amazing talents, where is that on this team, right? Um, and so maybe that's why that's why we're not seeing it. But then you've got, like, you know, Todd Rice is a good player. Francisco Medina is a good player. Kari Boyd's getting older, but he's he's still he's been a good player. Um, and it's you know you just go up and down the list, and it's just here's a good player, and here's a good player, and Tommy Cochran's a good player, and you know Tim Battle's got some use, and like they're just they're just kind of that bunch of little bit better than average guys. So yeah, maybe Calgary's more real than we thought they were. 
like every other pitching staff, I think at the end of the day, injuries are going to define how this pitching staff does. And I expected their rotation would be at least at least pretty good. I mean, anything with Pearson Gilliam in it is uh, right. <laughs> it's got a, a leg up. When I started looking at their offense, I love this team for the exact reason that you're kind of putting forward there. It's a it's a sum of the whole, uh, better than the parts kind of team. And to pick my own pet value, go pull their team, take a ratings scan down their gap uh, ratings, right? This is a team that is leading the league in slugging. And I think a lot of it has to do with that gap. You look at uh, at Matt Nomore, uh, for example, 99549. I mean, I think he gets a lot of extra value out of turning singles into doubles. He's kind of like Dusty Rhodes only with doubles. Um, and not quite the uh, not quite the number of singles. So I think that I I really slept on this team, and I think it's actually a pretty real team because I think the offense is just going to be steady and consistent. And the pitching staff um, in the frontier I think is 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 about as good as it gets for anyone not named San Antonio. So yeah, no, I mean I think it's one of those teams that you. It's easy, easy to miss. Um, I, I definitely did, because um, again, you're we're a league full of these crazy stars now, and they just don't really have those guys. But it's great to see a team that's just solidly put together and um, you know doing it without all that stuff. So yeah, and I like just them. doing and just doing a, a rundown before we get into things like trades and whatnot. We're sitting here, like I said, on, in May, May twelfth, mid May. Uh, Rockville sits at the front of the Atlantic. Uh, Aaron's Ball Club sits up there, which is kind of unusual for you, Aaron, the last few years. You seem like you've been down in the 6th and 7th slot until about the 1st of June, and then you hit the Rockets. So what's different about <laughs> what's different about you guys this year? Well, first of all, based on the start, I'm anticipating we'll win 140 games this year. So you, know, you heard it here first, 140 games. 140 um, games. <laughs> <laughs> no, like but that. really, like, like it's 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 a very very strange situation in that regard. What the biggest thing that's changed, the number one thing that's different, is the number one guy in either league right now, Bing Dijau. Yes, indeed. And and that guy, he has he he had terrible injuries last year. He was suffering to the burly. He was out for out for a while. He always seems to get slow get these slow start to the season, even when he's healthy. And I can say safely that that's not happening now because there isn't the more valuable player I think of the entire BBA right now. Yeah, he's pretty much overpowering right this moment. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, only 18 doubles projected to go with his 63 home runs. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty lame. Pretty lame, <laughs> Bing Um Second base, he's playing second base. I love that he's playing second base. I hate whenever you play this guy at first base. It drives me nuts. And I'm a defense nut. But, like, that kind of bat at second base, that is awesome. I mean, that is just – I just didn't want to – I didn't want him to wreck himself. Like, he's – he, he's had a few back injuries, and he's kind of – you know, he, he's, he's, my, he's my fragile player. He's my one <laughs> fragile player right now. And he's, he's, he's had some, some back injuries, and, and I'm, I'm just sort of crossing my fingers and saying, as long as this guy stays healthy, I don't – I'm, I'm going to be okay. When is he uh, – this is Arbier coming up here after this season? Is he timing this perfectly to get paid? Uh, no, actually, and this is this is lesser known. Last year was his first star beer. He made seven hundred and fifty k. Oh wow! Yeah, that's how much of a, that's how that's how much he's he's had troubles over over the last so year or so. You might want to extend him. I mean, right now he's asking for six point five million for twenty forty five. If you can get him like a two year and eight point five the year after that, I wonder if you can get him at like two years seven and a half million. Do you just do it, or do you think that? Yeah. But I have some cap issues that might prevent me from doing that. But otherwise, yeah, I, that's something I'm interested in doing for sure. Uh, We've been talking of, about that a bit. It's interesting. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I miss out on some of the Slack conversations and other stuff. So if there are things that are going on and people have mentioned, I just don't know because I, I suck at reading Slack. Um, anywho. Uh, no, I'm, I'm reading Aaron's comment to, to mean that he's in the process of negotiating inside the game. Oh, that part of it. Those we've been talking about it. You know, it's really interesting for someone that's as involved in fake baseball as I am. I don't read between the lines as much. And the... <laughs> Let, let's go down uh, into some. Well, actually, I didn't finish my whole scan, did I? I'm doing a lousy job of 
of uh, escorting us through this uh, because we've already talked about the frontier. We talked a little bit about the Atlantic. My Yellow Springs are at the top of the Heartland Division with Nashville is stepping up into the number two slot over the Loserville Sluggers, which makes me happy. The only thing that could make me happier is if Omaha were to also uh, Omaha or Madison. Madison's had a pretty hot week. They've got some interesting things going on. And then in the Pacific, we've got uh, Seattle uh, continuing on their strong surge with Hawaii, Long Beach, and San Fernando behind them. Uh, looks like Sacramento has uh, kind of thrown in the towel. And maybe we can use that as a uh, jumping off point because a couple of the bigger pieces of news this past week or so is uh, are all the trades uh, that uh, Sacramento and Shulis has have been uh, working on to kind of move current value into the future. So what are your thoughts on, on all the big uh, Sacramento mm-hmm. deals? Let me go. Go, go, go. Um, so, you know, Shulis is, has been refreshingly um, talkative. I don't know if anybody thinks of Shulis as refreshingly talkative, but um, open <laughs> – about uh, this whole process that Sacramento is going through. And it's really fun to watch what, you know, watch his brain work and see what he's thinking about. And I really appreciate that he's, you know, talking about these things as they're going on. When he had brought up trading Danny Garcia, my initial thought for that, and not because he's a guy I drafted, but my initial thought was that if you're looking at retooling rather than rebuilding, why would you trade a kid that age? You know, I think most of us, we hear the word retool. We think, okay, you'll be back in a, you know, 1.5 1.5 to 2.5 years, something like that. And you hear rebuild and we're thinking, okay, three to five years out. And so if you're thinking you're going to be back in a couple of years, then, you know, why would you trade a kid that age? Um, on the other hand, <laughs> when you look at the return he got for it, um, it makes a lot more sense to me. And hold on, you have to do some editing here because I'm trying to pull the trade up and I can't find it. <laughs> uh, why are you looking? I... Valencia, every single the last two years for Valencia, and Valencia has been through some ownership, some some different owners over the last couple of years. But um, one of the things I've been telling Valencia to do in the in the previews every single year is is trade Aaron Haney. Yep. I, I've been telling them, you know, you have a 25 year old mega superstar. You are going nowhere as a franchise, nowhere at all. And, and and Haney's still got another year of cost control after this one, and, and I I have been telling them without reservation that they they should go ahead and, and deal Haney while before he hits his walk year and he's going to be a lot harder to trade because that guy I mean that is a franchise just just going nowhere. You can build a farm system out of Haney, like you, you can could. you could you and, could you, know, you could spread yeah. that guy out into four real good prospects and and and, and save some dough and, and figure out what to do with. Angel's lap is eighty-one million dollars, you know. Rather than just years. right, rather than just let him like, you know, wither away. Yeah. In obscurity. I think the Valencia case is an interesting one because Lee had a um, intriguing way of running his team anyway, and you know he had finally gotten them to the point where they were a little bit competitive. Even made I think he made the playoffs one year, didn't he? Uh, yeah, once or twice. Yeah, yeah once or twice. Um, but I don't know that he was aggressive enough at the time to to take that next lever up into making the club into more of a program. So I think when that, uh, at at that point, I think he was locking in the need to, to do some kind of a sell off. And then, yeah, we did have the the little swap on one of the newer GMs and now, uh, Greg Smothers. I'm interested to see what Greg is going to do with that team. Um, I'll fully admit Greg's been a little bit quiet and there's part of me that hopes that that's an indication that he's just not that involved and will wander away. Cause I kind of want to get my mitts into Valencia. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to have a Pacific team when I came back cause I didn't want to play against the same GMs again, but there's been enough turnover and like Valencia is a fun project. I would just, you know, love to love to get my hands on that team. It'd be interesting. So looking back at the, the Danny Garcia deal with Montreal, the return he gets you had some thoughts, Ron, about this trade. I think. Um, which did you did you do an analysis on both of these trades or just? No, I, I only did the uh, the Brooklyn deal. You did, did the not Brooklyn actually deal. Okay. Dig, dig down deep into the Danny Garcia trade. Okay. Well, then I don't know who I'm. Anyway, look, looking at the the Montreal Sacramento deal, I'm not. I'm not sure I really like this for Montreal, which is surprising because again, I I didn't think that I would like. Sacramento trading away Danny Garcia, but 
when you look at one player that Sacramento got back and Matt McCartney, um, McCartney is 21. He is almost completely developed to the point where I would expect to see him in the big leagues next year. Um, and at worst two years from now. So that's right in that retooling timeline that you're talking about. And I think he's probably every bit as good as Garcia. And the reason for that is I have little to no confidence. You know, Garcia's got that 65 potential, but that's all based on a changeup that probably isn't going to show up. Um, or if it is, who knows? Who knows when? And so I'm not even sure that. And, and you know, Montreal's not good this year. I don't know that adding Danny Garcia is enough to like make them want to give away a player that next year or the year after that would be in the rotation and younger and cheaper. And then you add in, you know, um, Wasim Allah is a very interesting player. He's incredibly raw because he's an IFA guy, but a switch hitter who can probably play some mediocre second place, uh, second base or be an amazing left fielder. You know, he's very exciting. And then um, Guan, who is, again, you know, another middle infield looking type um, with a very good bat for a middle infielder. Yeah, Aaron, what are your thoughts? Um, so so I, I, I thought I gave this one some thought, too. You know, Montreal's in my division, and that obviously got my attention. I, I kind of understand what's going on here, I think. Um, I'm going to take the alternate attack on this one. I think you're right about McCartney. I think McCartney may have been the wrong guy to include in this deal. But I'm sort of understanding the whole idea behind Allah and Guan, uh, especially Allah, who is who is 19 years old, Um he, he turned 19 years old about February, and he really, I mean, he has no development at all. He can, he, he, he's not developed in the field, he's not developed at the plate, he's not developed anywhere much, really. Now, he does potentially have just a huge, huge potential here. Huge. Um, and, and, but, but Garcia's a really dependable starter, and I mean, even, even if you take out the Sacramento factor, He's, he's a pitcher I definitely want to have in my rotation long term. And Montreal Montreal always gets these huge revenue streams, and they're always going to be fine monetarily. So, like, I, I sort of get it. I, I think this. I think I'm with you though. I think this is the wrong year to do that kind of thing. Like, you, I would have been the sort of person who would wait and see. Like, if I started, what what are they like eleven and something? Like like eleven and twenty four or something? Yeah, Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, like, no, right. Montreal is eleven. Yeah, and Montreal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sacramento yeah, they're, they're, is 13 they're brutal, 23, right? and, significantly and, better. Yeah, like I would have, I would have wanted to wait until I was better to make a deal like that. But I also kind of get it. Like it, it, if you, if you don't include McCartney, I agree. I'm with you on McCartney. If you don't include McCartney, I think that's that that's a sensible deal, a sensible deal to kind of like build around a pitcher or two. Yeah, it's it's not that it, that's the really thing. It's like combination of timing and McCartney in in the setting of of the timing. If it was just Garcia for McCartney without the lottery ticket international guys, okay, a little bit closer. Or if it was like Garcia for the lottery ticket international guys plus somebody that's not quite as good as McCartney, okay. You know, it's just it's just uh, all the things that we've both said, I think. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. Uh, any, any, what about you, Ron? Where are you on this? Because you usually look at trades considerably differently than I yeah, do. Yeah, I, I look at things actually quite a bit differently in this case. I'm not, I'm not sure who won or lost. I mean, I like Garcia – Quite a bit. I am not worried about his changeup at all at this point. I expect that it's going to come in 60-70% chance that it's going to come all the way in. Um, and, I am not, and I am not uh, as big on McCartney as uh, either of the two of you are. Although he's a lefty, and an eight stamina lefty is always a, um, is always a, a value. His splits worry me a little bit and he's uh if i'm worried i'm i'm as worried about mccartney's control coming in as i am uh, uh more worried about that than i am garcia's changeout coming in i'll put it that way huh. uh if that control does not come in then you've got a six six four you know kind yeah. of pitcher and uh that scares the bejeebies out of me and he's 21 so i i don't know i give him about three more years i guess and maybe that will come in i i just don't know uh so i'm not as big on mccartney as you guys are and to be blunt when it comes to international players uh international complex players uh, those are always dangerous. I'm more interested in Guan than I am in Allah, uh, to be honest with you, because Allah is um, 
uh, reeks to me of a guy who's maybe not going to make it out. Like I say, I usually don't pay much attention to big potential guys in the international complex until they hit 19 or 20. And by the time they hit 19 or 20, um, if they're developing, that's good. Ala is 19, just turned 19, so maybe he's got another year here. Uh, he's just not developed. And as a switchy, he looks like a left-handed batter with no splits, uh, no good splits to me. I worry about him being a platoon player more than anything else, uh, which is fine. I mean, obviously, I love platoon players. Uh, he's also not a center fielder, so right. uh, yeah. he's, if I have to play him in center field, I'm not going to win championships, I would put it that way. Yeah, the bat plays in left, though, right? Like if, if the bat shows up, I think it does play in left. Um, yeah, uh, but, you know, he's a six-contact, four-avoid K. Right. And you yeah, know what I think true. about avoid K. I don't, and maybe this is just my own, you know, pseudo-Stever bias but I just don't I don't feel like I've seen that work out as badly for the lefties as it does for the righties. It's still a problem. I'm not going to say that it's not. Um, and I had one really good example of it in a guy that's tearing up the amoeba right now in Raul Hernandez, who could never get it together due to his, you know, I think he was something like seven contact and five ABK. And I still think that's what was holding him back. Or maybe he was like four. Another one was uh, Hedy Veenman, who was like four contact two ABK with like, you know, eight power and nine walk. And he's Actually, quite similar looking to this, um, maybe a little bit worse, obviously a little bit worse. So I get your concerns. And I'm, I'm not like, I don't think these prospects are gold. I just think that they're very exciting lottery tickets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I'm completely fine with that. I think if I'm, I like from a position of where the teams are. Yes, Montreal has had an extremely difficult start, and I think that's a little surprising to me. I didn't think I wouldn't have said they were, you know, expecting to dominate in the Atlantic, but I wouldn't expect them either to be 11 and 18 or whatever they are. Um, so I do wonder whether they're going to bounce back from that a little bit, and um, so I understand it more from. Um, I, I do kind of understand it from the Sacramento point of view. Shulis has said, "Hey, I'm done. I'm going to make this happen." Uh, I think those are good players to throw into the organization and see what happens, right? And you're right, Garcia's window is more fitting where I think uh, Herb's idea in Montreal fits. You know, I'm going to also counter on Garcia. We've been talking about relative ratings and so forth. The 776 when we go to full true readings, uh, true ratings, is that going to be, you know, uh, nine... Ten eight seven. You know, yeah, ten eight seven. I, I I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's I think he's a pretty solid pitcher, and he's still got yeah. um, you know three years of of admittedly a little bit pricey arbitration control left. That's a that's a potentially uh, near franchise level kind of pitcher if that's true. I, I have my concerns about Garcia too. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember me writing up Sacramento, which they they've. They've exceeded my expectations in terms of games dropped. Uh, I think they think they beat everybody's projection mm-hmm. um, on pace for, you know, 100 losses. But when I, when I wrote up Sacramento, one of the things I noticed is that the guys they had left really didn't strike anybody out. I mean, Garcia in, fi- in about 540 major league innings has 334 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And last year it was like 200 innings and 100 strikeouts. And this year it's like 40 innings and 16 Strikeouts, yep. And I'm a little concerned, just honestly, about Garcia outside of the outside of Sacramento's park. Like I, I wonder, a lot of what we've seen out of him is a little bit of a mirage, especially given that his, you know, as FIPs are going like 464 and 401 and 426 and 553. By the way, this this year in Sacramento, he has one star at Montreal, but like maybe he's just not the pitcher we think he is either. Yeah, it's hard to say. He's 23. You know, yeah. that's he's 23. That's- that's and that's really all it is. This is a anyway. This I just think this is a really interesting deal in that it's not what I expected to see, and it's kind of interesting to see how what both these GMs thought with it. Yeah, definitely. You know, the one point I will add is that I'm you know I'm the guy talking about maybe Montreal should not add, but I'm also the guy that pegged them as a team that probably traded away a little bit too much pitching, and otherwise they'd be a contender. And here's them right. solving that problem. So <laughs> maybe this is the right move. It's just it's again it's just kind of a it's always. I think very intriguing when you see two teams that are at the bottoms of their division make a deal where one of them's approving for now and one's approving improving for later. Yeah, I mean, um, I think yeah, in that light, if Montreal had started 500 
you would look at that and go, like, hey, that actually, maybe they're going to make a big move. They they have dug themselves such a big hole right now, and they don't have Rockville's personnel. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, Aaron has started out, uh, Rockville has started out in the lower uh, sections a couple of years in a row here uh, before this year, and you never discounted them. That, that's a that's a big hole for Montreal to come out of. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens. What are, what are your thoughts on the Brooklyn uh, Brooklyn Sacramento deal? That's the one that I did actually write up. So I actually hate this deal for Brooklyn. I just I completely hate it. And the reason I do is I don't know that they improved their team. I think the total war that they're going to get out of those out of the guys they added is somewhere between I don't know five to nine, maybe. And they traded away probably a lot more than that. I'm not a big fan of Edgardo Encarnacion. Um, you know, he, he's been just kind of a little bit below league average hitter throughout his career. His line, his slash line at 298, 344, 404 is, is okay. You know, it's okay for second base. But I, you know, a lot of that is concentrated into one year in Jacksonville when he was a four-win player. And since then, he's been just kind of like that regular that you're okay with, kind of a 1.5 to two-win player. And he's making $8 million and he's going to be a free agent. So I don't think that this guy really should net much of a return from anybody in any deal because you're going to have to extend him for $10 million. I don't think he's worth $10 million, and you're probably going to have to give him years. So that's And, and the other thing that compounds that is they've already got Druin who is a significantly better player than Encarnacion. Um, well, I shouldn't, I mean, that's hyperbole. I believe he is a better player than Encarnacion. <laughs> um, and, you know, looking at their lineups, they've now benched Druin to play Encarnacion. And yes, Druin has to have a platoon partner. He cannot be allowed to hit left-handed pitching. But if you if you take Druin, um, who, by the way, makes less money, and replace him with Encarnacion, that's a net loss. Right? That's just what that is in my mind. I could be wrong. I do like Lugo, but again, he's not an amazing player. Um, he's just kind of one of those, yeah, I'm happy to have this. I'm perfectly happy to have this guy at third base or shortstop. Cruz and Lucero are salary dumps. I get that. But then Sacramento picks up a knuckleballer that has really raw, has upside in um, Mahadevan, um, Scowell, looks like a potentially really, really good reliever. Again, long way to go on development. And it's Ma, I don't really know what Ma's outfield position is. Probably left field, or probably right field. But he's, you know, and does he have a good enough bat to be someone you're happy with in right? It all depends on how that gap power plays. Um, but all of those guys have a long way to go. None of them could be anything. But I would rather have those guys as, as ammunition in my farm system than basically add Jorge Lugo which is all I really think that Brooklyn got out of this. And again, um, Lugo, I've been going on forever. I'm sorry. I'll let someone else talk for a little bit. <laughs> but Lugo's got a career 89 weighted runs created plus, And most of that is from three to four years ago. Um, in recent years, he's been kind of eh. So I don't know. Not a huge fan. How do you break that down, Aaron? I, I, I see it a little bit differently. Um, one of the things that, one of the things that, that, I think that Brooklyn was looking at with this deal was just the the crushing weight of two of three more years of Fernando Kirk. Like they're just looking at at, at at like eight million and eight million and eight million, and they 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 have this they have it in their mind. I think that they're contending that they're contenders. It, it's very hard to contend and, and have a deal like that long term. That said, if they may have dealt for Encarnacion with the intention of letting him go. I think they may actually let him go at the end of the year, even if they're they might play they might try Drew in at at shortstop later, but that that no, never mind. I mean, I think they traded him for the intention of letting him go, just to clear the cap long term for you know to be able to afford players like seriously. If you look at if you add eight million to their money next year, you add eight million dollars in, in salary next year, they're completely capped out. I think that's where their brain was on this one is that they they are looking at like. 11 million for Sawyer's Liz and nine and 10 million for Vega. And for that matter, 6 million for Druin, who is a real, I think he's a real nice player. And I think in part, maybe they're starting in Carnacion just to sort of keep Druin's number down a little bit. 
because they're still at 104 million even with them. But it's it's one of those things where like I'm looking at yeah eight million dollars on the cap for for that year. That that's that's something that can't be done. And then you have to re-sign guys like Vega and Drew in 2046. You just have to end up buying them out anyway. I think they did this deal to. To get Encarnacion, they're going to let Encarnacion play, and they're going to let him go, I think. I think they're going to let him, let him walk. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I hadn't really thought about the Cruz salary angle as much. That's uh, that's why we're here to chat, right? I think the Cruz salary angle is a, is a big deal. I'm a little bit – so I admit I'm a little surprised. I don't know – you know, Ben Hearing is a um, – has been around the BBA for a few seasons now, but has not yet got a brand to me yet. I can't tell how Ben uh, looks at things before. Because at some point you start to look at, well, I understand that because I understand that GM's psychology and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I definitely, if I were in Ben's shoes, I would be thinking I need to be kind of competing right now. And I definitely see he's got to keep Vega and Sliz as a core of his um, from my frame of reference, he's got to keep those two guys as kind of the core of his franchise going forward if he's going to continue to be competitive, if not actually compete. Uh, the thing that has surprised me about this is that uh, he's got Encarnacion starting completely for Druin. I expected he would actually start Encarnacion as a platoon partner and perhaps use Encarnacion's defense, which is better than Druin's by a shot. Right as a defensive replacement in the games where Druin is starting. That's how I was kind of expecting to see that play, because I agree with Aaron. I think that he will probably let Encarnacion walk unless there's uh, unless he gets a great deal on him. But I think Encarnacion is a fantastic platoon partner for Druin and actually increases the value of Druin in that sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and Lugo is a better than league average shortstop, I think. Yeah. And uh, they didn't. Uh, they had Walton, who is a better than average defensive shortstop. So I, I mean, I, I think it all made sense. I don't really like the knuckleballer a whole lot. I know there's a great deal of excitement around knuckleballers, and there's this mystique and aura about the idea that knuckleballers uh, have a uh, big benefit on Babbitt and things like that. And I've seen lots of different conversations about uh, about it. They're kind of fun. I think they're fun pitchers. But I don't know. That's that's an interesting one. I, I definitely see the deal from the Sacramento side. Um, yeah. Right. Pull as many pull as many young players as you can into the organization right. and go. That's that's a uh, a good gambit by that's how you do a fire sale, right? You take, <laughs> you take what you got and you make sure you make deals for them um, and take an offer that's on the table. Uh, but I will say that I'm just not that huge on, um, on what is his name? Madhavan. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, you know, I wrote the whole dang thing up. So I am just kind of rehashing all the things that I've already, <laughs> already well, talked about. And that's a, that, you know, you're mentioning of a Sacramento and a fire sale. It's kind of a good segue into a little bit more discussion about that team in general. Um, Shulis has made it very, very clear. It was great that he was on uh, Niles's uh, podcast um, just a little bit ago. Cause we got a peek into his brain yep. and now we can talk about him and second guess him. Um, but he's made it very clear that he intends for this to be a short retool. I don't know. It is very hard to retool on the fly when you've got your pitching staff. And I think that he really might be looking at two to three years down the road as being the next time he's really coming forward rather than like next year or, you know, I, I would, I really, him, I'd be looking at three years and, even if it's two, you know, he's mentioned that David Simpson's his guy and he's going to hold on to him forever. And I get that from a sentimentality standpoint. I mean, I paid Ricardo Diaz um, to sit on the bench for an entire season. And the season before that, I gave him 10 starts. And so I get that. But Simpson, this is his age 26 year. Posen Shi, this is his age 27 year. Quant Koros, this is his age 28 year. Even if he's back in two years, you're talking 30-year-old Koros, 29-year-old Simpson, 29-year-old Shi. Um, they might be still quality players at that standpoint, but in all likelihood, I don't think they're going to be as strong as they are right now, and they're going to be significantly more expensive. And do you try to come out of a retool with players that are that age with that price on your roster? And I feel like the answer is no. Um, and if I was Shoeless, I would be looking to trade all three of those guys and just call it a rebuild. 
just you know rather than hoping I, I, I think it's a really risky strategy to hope that those guys are still at their peaks at 29 years old and 30 years old and you're going to be paying them a ton of money more than likely I, I don't know that that's the that's the way I would go with it all of you guys I, I once again talked for an hour and a half but <laughs> thoughts to tag along with those oh well it's your hey it's your former franchise we, we, we kind of want to know um, it's yeah. really, it's really doesn't look like mine anymore, which is nice. Um, yeah. I'm glad that Shulis is finally kind of molded in, into his own, into his own guys. Um, yeah, it really is his own team at this point. And, uh, so far the results, not so good, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of getting the, I'm kind of getting the idea of what he's doing here. I mean, he's obviously he's not got the Fernando Cruz issue, but beyond that, uh, I, I can see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. There's that. There's that eighty million dollar year we're looking at twenty forty six where he's got a got a little bit of cap space and he's he's got a couple a couple of the pitchers he traded for the ones he's got coming up um, the two guys he's got coming up that I saw when I looked at when I looked at that were um, McCartney and, and also Jim Pollock is really exciting yeah and, and Pollock's got Pollock's got some got Pollock's got some talent like he he's gonna he's actually made for the Sacramento Park he's where there's just no home runs ever. So, you know, because he's, he's got that sort of, uh, sort of thing going, he, he's, he's an exciting player and a hundred miles an hour on the gun. And, and I, I could see, I could, if I were imagining this, uh, they'd need another, another pitcher. They need another arm. Their bullpen's really good. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's impossible to imagine them contending. I, I thought they were 80, an 85 win team this year. Uh, with everybody they had, um, may have missed a little on that one, but but I, I can see them being a team in a year or two that has the ability to to contend in in that division. Um, Perkins has done pretty well as a rookie so far, Mark Perkins, and like I, I they don't need the best starting pitching staff because they have an outstanding bullpen, but if they're if they manage to get a few of those guys who they traded for you know, really going in the next year or two. Yeah, you could you could see them going back to 90 wins and stealing a division. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, that's the, like I say, the, to me, the main thing is is that I like to see out of my my uh, opposing general managers is that they actually have a plan and they're executing it toward a plan, right? And the plan either works out or it doesn't work out. And I can definitely see this working out. I'll throw another little, you know, future gift out there. I mean, there is, uh, I mean, there is not, there's a, a non-zero likelihood that Fernando Cruz continues to add value for two and three yeah. years, right, out into that process. I mean, it is a contract problem for Brooklyn that Brooklyn solved by shipping it off. It may not be quite the contract problem in California or in Sacramento. And quite honestly, Fernando Cruz is like, uh, clutch postseason super guy, right? Mm. If, if I go down and look at his uh, postseason, his career postseason numbers, uh, OPS plus is 153, when uh, WRC plus is 157. You know, he is the kind of guy that if he can hold his uh, ratings and uh, can be a filler on the team. I mean, I would not be un unhappy to pencil him into my uh, wild card playoff <laughs> lineup, <laughs> right? If if uh, Sacramento can manage to win 85 and 90 games um, in two to three years it, and they keep him on the roster, who knows? Plus, I'm Marvin Winston, by the way, too, on that list. Marvin Winston, who right now is, a, I mean, he's a, he's a big prospect. Yeah, definitely. And alternately, you could also take Fernando Cruz with that aura and flip him at trade deadline for another uh, another prospect. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, this made complete sense to me. And I I give uh, I don't discount you, Ted, when it comes to the question, should you just go ahead and and dump it all? But those, you know, the Simpsons and the Koroses at thirty, they still have a couple of years on the window. They'll they'll be good. They're just they'll won't. Good. I, I think if you're if you're, it all depends on what he's looking at. And I think another thing to look out with this, look out for with this is, is what do they do in the second half of the season? Because if this is your traditional Sacramento slash California cold weather garbage start and he lights it up through the middle of the summer like those teams often do and he ends up, you know, just at or below 500, I think that's a totally different story in terms of looking to come back in a year or two. 
than if um, he ends up being a 400 winning percentage team. Because I think if that's the case, you really do have to look at more full-on fire sale. Um, it, the and, and again, which you're mentioning with the players like Simpson and she uh, and Koros being 30 years old, I don't think they're going to be pumpkins. I just think that like if he's shoeless and he may very well be, he needs to be expecting those guys to be four win players. You know, Simpson will be maybe a four and a half win player like that by that point, not a seven win player. And, you know, maybe Koros is like a three win guy and she's a two or three win guy at that point and not, um, and that just has to be part of the plan. And then you have to be paying them accordingly. Um, the money timing could work out because a lot, the rest of his team at that point will be very young. So it could be that he just pays overpays those players um, the Simpsons and whatnots for two to three seasons while all those kids are on ARB contracts. You know, it's, uh, it could work out fine. It's just kind of, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm also in like, I want to dumpster fire and I want to rebuild from scratch. And I haven't done that for a long, long time. So every team I'm like, tear it down, burn the, burn it to the ground. You know, <laughs> just like every guy. So I'm looking at his farm too, by the way. And, and, and looking three of his top eight, three of his top five hitting prospects are center fielders. I wouldn't my I wouldn't be shocked to see she be the long term guy out. Yeah, you know, like he's, he's got other options. It'll just be a while. The hitting prospects he's got are so far away. The yeah, pitchers are, are what's close. They're what made me think before this season that a short term bounce back could be, you know, could be in the cards because you know, Pollock's going to give up some homers to right handed uh, batters, but he still looks like a solid arm. And then farther down the list, there's somebody else. So Kevin O'Toole is actually kind of interesting. He doesn't look like much. But he looks like he could be a you know back end of the rotation guy. He has a number of like three through five um, starter type prospects. Um, yeah. So there's some hope there. The one caveat, one fear that I always have anytime that I am running a be it a total rebuild or a retool, you know, the it's even bigger challenge with the retool. The one thing that really needs to be you need to be careful about is if you do happen to retool like this if you go through a 50 win season if he keeps winning at this rate if he doesn't come out of the sacramento cold uh, spring theory right then suddenly attendance plummets plummets and fan interest plummets and more importantly at that stage you only get one year of revenue mess up right you you can mess up your revenue one year and probably still come out of it but then that means you really you're on a tightrope because uh, if you get two years uh, of revenue drop, then suddenly you can't use $110 million as your salary cap because uh, your revenue isn't enough to support it. So, well, and you've got uh, there, there's a risk. Right. And then you're compounding that with these older players that are going to want to get paid. Um, right. And then that becomes even worse because then you trade, you sell off your older players who are tradable and your fan interest goes down even further and you're probably not getting current value for them. So you lose more and your revenue goes, it can be a really ugly cycle, uh, cycle if, if that, um, so ultimately there's this one, a little yellow flag sitting at the corner of my mind saying it's probably good. It's probably all fine. But a worst case scenario is a 50 to 60 win season this year and a 60 to 70 win season next year. And then you've got a different problem on your hand. Yep. Then you've got a financial problem on your hand. So uh, there's a they're in a risk zone at this stage. Yes, they are. There's one other kind of what's going on currently topic that I wanted to go over. And all of that is I would just, you know, pour one out for uh, the Twin Cities River Monsters who had another uh, pitcher go down for nine months. Man. Scott. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. you know, Chris Kelly's like missed a little bit here. They've had a ton of other stuff. You know, Juan Valdez is now out for the year. I mean, can they get a break? You know, like just, or can they not get a break? I don't, you know, depending on how you want to phrase it. Um, they've got some young guys that they could press into service uh, maybe a little bit early. I don't know that that's the best move, but that just. Yeah, and it really hurts for Scott, I think, you know, because his rebuild was going along. Uh, I am really impressed with Scott as a basic general manager. Um, you know, he came into the league with an expansion team and turned them into a pretty good uh, team for uh, quite a while, then made a hard but good choice to do his uh, rebuild, uh, did it, did the big fire sale process, built up really well. I mean, he had all the dominoes kind of lined up about three years ago. And, yeah, he's kind of become um, – you know, when I first came into the league, poor Mike Cavaruso in San Antonio was going through this with a, 
with two cycles of pitchers. <laughs> yeah. uh, now Scott is like the San Antonio in, in the Heartland, and I feel uh, bad for him because his team is structured to win now. Right. So that that makes it even more difficult because this long and very well executed plan in my mind is now in some great peril. I don't know. What do you do, Aaron? When you what would you do if you were Twin Cities right now? Well, obviously Valdez's loss is huge. I mean, he's he's been, he was pitching great this year, you know. And and the thing is, um, one nice thing about this team is they do have at least a little bit of pitching depth. They got they got Lothrock in the pen, and he's not he's not all bad. And they they the, the big problem is is that if they need to they need to adjust. They don't really have the chips to move for somebody like that, which is, as you mentioned, they're really built to win now and they don't, they don't have a lot of chips to cash on that. You know, they've, they've you know, Davenport Hinkle and Jonas Murdoch down there, they could, they could move those types of guys for pitchers, I think, but pretty much like they're, they, they could think about, they could think about trying to push Brian King into the rotation too. Yeah. I mean, that guy's got, that guy's got a load of, load of potential. Uh, but he, I mean, he hasn't found it at 24 yet, but he's, he's, he's really loaded with potential. Maybe he'd take to that. He, they've already started him a little this year. Doesn't look like the results have been so great, but but they're you know they they could give that a try. But yeah, I, in in a situation where where I'm I'm looking at Twin Cities's you know cap situation, I've got 15 million dollars of wiggle room. I, I I'd go ahead and I'd, I'd Give I, I'd give like a, a somebody with somebody with some you know maybe overpriced with some upside a try at this point no names come to mind right off the top of my head but I, I if I if I gave it some thought I'd probably be able to come up with somebody um yeah that's that's the sort of thing I've been looking around the league for and seeing if I could like figure out some kind of some kind of mild you know retread expensive type pitcher or or I'd try either Lothbrock or um Lothbrock or uh, or or King in the rotation and see how that went. But that's a tough loss, though. That is a tough loss. It's hard to, hard to replace a pitcher like that, especially a lefty like that. Yep. Yeah. Without a doubt. All righty. I, I think we've uh, we've been jabbering and jabbering, and, um, and again, probably over, over overstaying our welcome. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, do we want to call that a week? Yeah, I think that, that probably. Uh, do you have any other kind of last things that are on your mind, Aaron, as you look around the league right now? Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to mention the Mexico City Aztecs because they are right now the number one spot in the jail, and they have just been absolutely on fire this year. Their their defense is outstanding, I mean, just just amazing. Their defense is absolutely amazing. Um, their hitting's been great, and I, I can I can imagine that team staying for sure, staying near the top of that division all year. That's a really well put together team. Mm-hmm. It's a really good ball club. And it has Fred Holmes written all over it. I mean, that's the best thing. I, I, one of the things I love about Fred's teams is they just look the same. They always look exactly the same, and, um, and it's not, and it's refreshing because it's not a way I would build. You know, he's very much um, a contact and speed and defense, um, and I feel like I see a lot of people try to do that, and he's the only one I know that pulls it off consistently. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really great to watch. Um, That's like a Recta thing too, by the way. He 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 did a lot of those type of teams. Did he? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, they can't. He can't be too good though, because I can't have uh, Luis Garcia, um, you know, getting. I think it's like, it. Oh, he's on pace to do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Get his eleven or twelve wins, whatever it is. Yeah, it's eleven wins. He's on pace for fourteen. There you go. So, uh, no, I think that's well uh, well pointed out, Aaron, and the. Uh, earlier on uh, in another podcast, we were talking about Edmonton and the likelihood that they can be a playoff team. Uh, the problem that Edmonton has, Edmonton is a fantastic team, but the problem they have is they've got Mexico City, San Antonio, possibly Calgary. That was the lead-in conversation that we had yeah. that they're going to have to deal with, and there are uh, already five games essentially behind those all of those teams. Uh, Vegas is doing what, you know, Matt teams seem to do, mm-hmm. and and Phoenix is not dead on the side of the road. <laughs> uh, and Boise has teams has players who can beat you, so that's a tough division uh, up and down all the way until Wichita, who is still in Nigel rebuild territory. Well, but they're about to have the number one pick who can play. Exactly. And as you you know, and as you look at um, Edmonton a little bit further, you're probably at this point talking about a wild card spot. 
and then you have right. to deal with that stacked Atlantic division. So I, exactly. it's, uh, it's, it's not that they're not good. It's that they're behind, like you said, they're behind a lot yeah. of good teams. And it's not like they can't go off on a 10, 12 game winning streak and suddenly change the picture, but right. uh, the, the picture is not uh, bright for them. And part of the reason is because of teams like Mexico city, who is, I agree, extremely well constructed. And as soon as you look at that team, you can say, okay, Fred Holmes is around her somewhere. Right. So, <laughs> so all right. Any uh, last words from you, Ted? No, that's last it. That's fine. All righty. Fantastic. Well, thanks for a great conversation. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is going to love it, but I've had a great time and uh, can't think of a better way to spend a uh, Saturday morning than chewing the BBA fat with Aaron Weiner and Tetsch. Uh, You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at fesleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.